You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. Recently, I was reading some parenting advice, and one thing really stuck out for me. It said, don't ask your children what they want to be when they grow up. Ask them what problem they want to solve. Which is really beautiful. And I'll probably use that. But I bring it up here because today uh, is the day when traditionally we, we mark the enlightenment of the Buddha. December 8th. Uh, originally it was on a lunar calendar, and some traditions still use a lunar calendar. I don't know how long we've done it this way, but December 8th is the day. And the Buddha had a problem that he wanted to solve. I think last year I told the story in great detail, but this time I'll, I'll skim. He left the castle... And he went out and he saw four things. He saw living examples of people in old age and people experiencing sickness. And he saw a corpse. So he confronted old age, sickness, and death. And then he saw someone who was an ascetic, a renunciate, someone who had taken up spiritual life, full-time. So he left. And he went on to become one himself. And a few years later, he finds himself at the Bodhi tree. And some things have happened in between. And so we catch him in this moment of uh, his greatest confidence and also his greatest resolve. And so as I've heard the story, he sits down and he, he resolves that he will not get up until he has found what he's looking for. The more I think about this story, the more interesting it is. In part because in this particular tradition, we discourage the whole thing. This idea that, that, uh, you would meditate as a means to accomplish some kind of end, uh, that it's a tool or a device and you have a goal, a metric, something by which you can measure what you're doing. We really throw all that out the window. But the Buddha was He was fully in it. But what's really interesting to me about this is this process by which he finds this resolve. So we go back again to this day when he leaves the palace and he sees these sights. 
And he's struck by the unfairness of it. The terror of it. Because his attendant at each moment is reminding him that everyone experiences the same things. Everyone gets old, if they're lucky. Everyone gets sick, and everyone dies. And this is new information, we're told, for this prince. And his response is to want to fix it. Not just for himself, but to actually fix the problem. And he has no recourse. Not, not in the way that we might usually imagine. He can't rely on science. Right? He can't turn to the scientists and say, let's fix this thing together. He can't go to the doctors. He doesn't know who else might know the answer. Though he does suspect that this ascetic might be the kind of person who could give him a hint. He does, and I notice this more and more as I read the story, he does skip one option, which is that as a political leader, he could have actually made people's lives better. That's a very modern view, maybe, but it sticks with me a little bit. But in his mind... Not only is there a solution, but it's a solution that he can find, that he can accomplish with his body, with his mind. Think about that. He recognized what for him was the greatest problem in all of existence. And he thought, you know what? I'll fix this myself with no other tool but myself. And so he goes into the woods and he starts trying to learn whatever he might have to learn to accomplish this. And he asks everybody and he tries everything. And it doesn't go the way he'd planned. It all falls apart. But his resolve does not fall apart. And his confidence only grows as he sees his options fall away before him. He does not imagine that he can't do this. It sounds insane. He reaches this moment when he sits down and he says, I'm going to solve it now. Or I'll die. And he sits down. There's... When we look at Buddhist history and we, we look at the, the way that different traditions have evolved, what we say is that the, the notion of the bodhisattva vow, the one who lives by the vows that we chant at the end of each service, 
that that really came into that that solidified about 500 years after the Buddha's death. And it's a pretty big deal. It shakes up Buddhism and Buddhism goes in different directions. But when we look at that, we should think, how did it take so long? The Buddha's story is a story about that vow, explicitly about that vow. He saw the suffering of the world and he said, I'm going to end this. And who's going to, how am I going to do it? Completely on my own, through force of will, through nothing but vow and offering and dedication, I'm going to do this. And when we have this great momentous thing happen, it's after he has reached that last stage of saying, I am so committed that I am going to give everything. I'm not just going to give up my uh, the luxury and the power and the family and the respect. I'm willing to die for this. He cut the last cord and he sat down in a state of perfect commitment to everyone. Again, think about that. You're all already sitting this way. What is the feeling of imagining that the only force in the world that can save everyone is emanating from you? It's something you're generating. It's something you're discovering right now. It's a very powerful story. And he sits there and, and he sees the morning star and something happens. That's the secondary part of the story. We tell the story in reverse and we say that was the Big Bang. Right? This story takes place the night before. When he sits down and says he will not get up. Without that, nothing happens. Without that moment, years before, nothing happens. Whatever this enlightenment moment is, it is a symptom. It's a byproduct of this other thing that is at the heart of this story. He made an offering of his life. That's how I hear the story. And then what happened? 
You're going to hear this from me for years. I don't know. I don't know what happened. And honestly, I think if anyone says that they do know, you should wonder about that. But it's also interesting, because whatever it is, it allowed him to stand up. And yet we know that on on a technical level, nothing happened at all. Right? He literally wanted to save the world from suffering. But in the moment that he was sitting beneath the Bodhi tree, at the moment that he saw the morning star, people still suffered. People still died. People were still sick and people were still old. There wasn't even a half a second reprieve from the suffering of the world. And yet something happened that made him feel that he could get up from that spot. That's really interesting. I think it was just last week we talked about the Dragon Gate. This comes up over and over again. There's this gate at the bottom of the ocean, and fish swim through it. And when they swim through it, they turn into dragons, except that they don't look like dragons, and they don't feel like dragons, and they don't know they turned into dragons. But they are dragons, but they're still fish. (laughs) Right? That's also a story about this story. The way that we are to understand this story, something happened and it didn't change anything, but nothing was the same. And he got up and then he continued this vow, but he did it in different ways. That, that intensity changed. And he became a more socially engaged creature. He started talking to people. He started investigating this vow with others. And he did that until he died. I first heard this story probably probably 30 years ago. And I think about it a lot. And on this day every year I think about it a lot. And it just gets more interesting to me. But the mechanics, the specifics of what happened that we call enlightenment, 
that gets less interesting for me. That feels like a place where we can get stuck. We'll never get to know. But that resolve, that vow, that's something we can see. We don't have to guess at what that was. We're told what it was. The question for us is how did he manage to to turn that up until it was so hot for him? How did he stoke that? What did it mean for him to reach a breaking point at which he felt he had to do what he had set out to do and that he literally would not do any other thing before that? He would not eat, he would not sleep. He would not go to the bathroom. He would not move until he had found his way to the very center of that vow. Beautiful story. Gets me all worked up. I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.